How do you respond when your plans fall through? You're the type of person who refuses to take no for an answer, and so your plans fall through, and you don't take no for an answer, so you just like kick the door open and barge right in. Is, is that you? Or are you the type of person who your plans fall through, and then you're kind of lost, you're like flounder, kind of wandering aimlessly until you get the next idea or the next thing comes along? I don't know, whichever way you respond when your plans fall through, it, you're sure to have experienced it, right? You set out, you got a, a great plan for the year or for a project, and things start coming together, and they don't happen the way you think they should. The Scripture's aware of this. It talks about our plans over and over. Solomon says in Proverbs 19, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. As long as you and I live in a broken world, we're going to go through this experience where our plans fall through. They're going to be disrupted by pandemics, disasters, catastrophes, even the good distractions that come along and you're like, hey, maybe there's something else. But even still, we serve a sovereign God whose purpose always prevails. And so this morning, I want you to see that you don't have to lose your head when your plans fall through, and you don't have to force things to happen. But when your next steps aren't clear, you can wait and pray until God makes your next steps clear. I think that's a story we see from this story in Acts 15 and 16. Uh, Paul certainly had a plan here he is, this former Jewish leader who has now become a creature of grace. Are y'all one of those? Man, me too. Man, I was singing this morning after. I always practice, preach my sermon. And so I was in here preaching my sermon to an empty auditorium and sat down at the piano and started singing that song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. You know that, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, take my Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Now, Paul was a creature of grace just like you and me. And when Christ's grace came into his life, he totally transformed him, took him from being a persecutor of the church to being a, a powerful missionary. And in, in God's irony and sense of humor, wisdom, however you want to think about it, the guy who was throwing Christians in jail ended up having a front row seat and a leading hand in the church's expansion across the ancient world. And he did it through what we call missionary journeys, which I think is a really descriptive name. I think they could have come up with something better, but we call them missionary journeys, like the one we are reading about here. In Acts 15, 36, he tells his buddy Barnabas, hey, let's return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are few years before Paul announced his plan to Barnabas, they'd spent a couple of years being sent out from the church in Syrian Antioch as church planting missionaries, preaching the gospel across what turns out to be modern day Turkey. Luke tells us they preached and planted in such far off places as, get this, there's a quiz later, Perga in Pamphylia, Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Lyconia, Lystra, Derby. 
in the surrounding region. Everywhere they went, preaching the gospel of Jesus. And Luke tells us this missionary journey was a powerful conveyance of God's spirit on the world. And what I mean is everywhere Paul went, he'd preach the gospel and the Holy Spirit would show up with miraculous signs authenticating the message he preached. Pagans everywhere gave their hearts to Jesus with such uh, powerful um, and life-changing evidence that riots broke out. And Paul and Barnabas are beaten and chased out of town. I mean, it's amazing. But a few years had gone by, and Paul was thinking about all those churches they'd started and all those Christians they had led to the Lord, and he decides it's time for us to go back where we've been and see how the things are going. And I think that is a worthy and God-honoring plan. If you were in Paul's situation, I think that's the kind of plan you would make. See, Paul was a, a kind of a unique individual. He lived his life with purpose. He had an inner conviction that he had received a special divine assignment. He talked about it in 1 Timothy 1. Tells Timothy, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ. It's a trustworthy statement, deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Paul was a creature of grace and living proof that God could save anybody. And he believed that Jesus had called him to preach the gospels of the Gentiles, and he was going to spend his life doing it. That's the purpose he lived for. He said, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel in places it's never been heard. Because of that, the scripture is uninterested in all of Paul's plans. The kind of plans that you and I make, like to retire when we're 65. We don't know if he had any of those kind of ambitions. The kind of New Year's resolution he goals, like to lose 10 or 20 pounds, to read 15 books this year to make it through the New Testament, you know, whatever. Paul wasn't making goals like that. Paul had one goal and one ambition, and that was to preach Christ. And we read about that plan throughout the pages of the New Testament. Uh, you can go to Romans chapter 15 and hear Paul's travel itinerary as he fulfilled the commission God had given him. Paul was a planner, and he had a plan to visit these churches. But I know, as a pastor, I've, I've had conversations where as Christians, we struggle sometimes with this concept of planning. For many of the same reasons that end up materializing in Paul's life. For example, we know that the scriptures warn us against self-centered, presumptuous plans for the future. James talks about the people who say, tomorrow we're going into this city and we're going to do such and such as that. 
He says, it'd be better off if you say God wills because you don't even know what tomorrow's going to bring. Now, of course, Jesus says not to worry about tomorrow because sufficient for today is the trouble of its own. So sometimes we, we hear those things and we're like, well, what's the point in planning? We serve a sovereign God whose purpose is going to prevail, Solomon says, regardless of whether we ever lift a finger or not. So let's just take it moment by moment, day by day, and live in the moment. Anybody there, you, you live in that tension between my plans and trusting in God? Well, for Paul, there apparently wasn't that much of a tension that he had plans like visiting these churches. See, I think he believed that God was going to work through his plans, and that's what God ended up doing. You know, he laid it on Paul's heart to go visit these churches, or he gave him a burden for it, and so Paul set out to fulfill it. Like the way one commentator, David Peterson, talked about this story, he says, it shows us the importance of human initiative in Christian work. And I think it's important for us to see. We serve the same sovereign God Paul did, and we've received the same divine commission. Every last one of us has been given a task by Jesus to go into all nations and make disciples. He's told us to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he's told us to teach him to observe everything he's commanded. The question for us should not be, what is the purpose of my life? But rather, how does God want me to fulfill it? And so I believe that God burdens our hearts. He lays needs on us like the person we work with. We see going through a difficult time and we have this unshakable sense within that, hey, you know what? They really need to know the love of Christ. And so we act on it, right? It's like the, the classmate we have at school deals with anxiety, and we think, hey, you know what? If they only knew the peace that passes all understanding, I think they would have a little bit different approach to life. And so you go out of your way to have those kind of conversations and to fulfill the purpose God's given you as a disciple who makes disciples. That's the same thing God was doing in Paul. He laid this desire on his heart, gave him this sense, hey, you know what would be a good way to spend the next couple of years of our lives, Barnabas? Why don't we pack up and hit the road and check in on the brethren? So that's what they did. They set out to fulfill their plan, only as most plans go, a few little kinks to iron out along the way. They had to make sure they got the right people on the missionary team, and so they come to a disagreement on the presence of John Mark. And of course, Barnabas takes Mark, Paul takes Silas, and pretty soon here are Paul and Silas headed out of Antioch through Cilicia and all the rest, ended up in Derby and Lystra, the exact places where Paul had already preached. His plans are working out. Not only that, but what does he find? But healthy churches in every town. Christians who hadn't abandoned their faith, the next generation of leaders being raised up and gaining a reputation in the surrounding area. Oh, it's amazing. Luke summarizes it. He says in verse 5, you can look at it, 16.5, so the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. Mission accomplished. The plans have all worked out. I, I know this is imaginative reading, 
But I got to believe that Paul had that sense of accomplishment that we all know. The plan has worked out just as he had envisioned it. Things were going, as we say, right, according to plan. He set out to encourage these brethren, and when he gets there, he finds them and encourages them and strengthens them, and they're increasing in number every day. Up until verse 5, there are no unforeseen circumstances. No, the Lord willing and the creek don't rise qualifiers. There's just Paul setting out to fulfill the plans that God's laid on his heart, and he meets success every step of the way. Lord, I love it when that is the atmosphere of my life. Don't you? When, when everything is just falling into place and the sky is blue and no clouds in sight, it's just so wonderful. And also a little disconcerting. Because, you know, that never lasts. Have you, have you experienced that? Just about the time you think everything is falling into place and all your wildest dreams have come true, uh, in comes some unforeseen circumstance that changes everything. Now, here's Paul. He's got Timothy, this new young protege, and he, his eyes are set west towards Asia. And I got to think, depending on how you look at the map, and we're going to look at maps here in a second, uh, maybe he's thinking about the city of Philadelphia or Colossae, but I got to believe that he's really set his heart on this city of Ephesus, a cosmopolitan town. Everybody comes in there on the coast of the Aegean Sea, and he thinks, if I could just get to Ephesus and establish a church there, man, God could do amazing things through that church, take the gospel everywhere. But of course, God had other ideas. It says he starts into Asia in verse 6, but he faced divine resistance. Luke says, the Holy Spirit forbid him from speaking the word in Asia. So Paul said, okay, not Asia then. Let's just go north towards Phrygia and Galatia. When they got north, they set their eyes on other major cities, the city of Constantinople and Nicaea on the Marmara Sea and Bithynia. But again, they met divine resistance. Verse 7, the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. I'm used to all kind of things messing up my plans. My kids mess up my plans. Other people mess up my plans. I've run into things where I had certain plans and I didn't have the money to do what I'd hoped to do. You know, I've, I've run into all sorts of factors that have made me alter my plans. Paul was forbidden by God. Now, I don't know the circumstances by which Paul received the divine direction, but I got to think the language Luke uses, he was forbidden, God did not permit. Whatever they were, they were unmistakable. God himself was preventing Paul from fulfilling his plans. Now, maybe the Holy Spirit spoke to him in an audible voice. Paul, don't go into Asia. Maybe it was a vision. God seems to speak to Paul in visions a lot, so maybe he gave him a vision. Or maybe it was really mundane. Like maybe the morning they woke up to head into Asia, the weather was bad. Paul interpreted it as God's sign that that wasn't a good direction to go. 
Maybe he wanted to hire a wagon to carry him the, the rest of the journey, and the wagons were all occupied. Maybe he'd gotten a message back and said, hey, you really don't want to go there. There are no venues good for preaching. The synagogues are not open to the gospel of Jesus. I mean, we just do not know. But whatever set of circumstances developed in Paul's life, he knew right away that God had other plans. The initial success he faced faded when God pressed pause. Like, hold up. This is where I want you to consider how you would have responded. Step of the, every step of the way, you've had success in your plans. And all of a sudden, you have a string of setbacks where your plans fall through. How would you have responded in those circumstances? Now, our culture teaches us that if you want something bad enough, you got to go get it. And there's this thing online. They call it the hustle culture. And all these fit and beautiful influencers tell us that if we want something, we have to plan our work and then get up early and work our plan. And if we work hard enough, nobody can stand in our way. You know, did Paul buy into that? You know, in, in those circumstances, he'd be like, hey, Paul, man, listen, if you think it's a good idea to preach in Ephesus, and I mean, who could argue with that? Thousands of people, maybe as many as 250,000 people living in Ephesus, an amphitheater that seats 25,000. Man, wouldn't it be awesome to rent that thing out for a week and hold a crusade? Imagine all the people who would come to Christ. That's a good idea. If you want stuff like that bad enough, Paul, you have to do what it takes to make it happen. Don't take no for an answer. Work hard and get it done. That's not the way Paul looked at his life. He didn't throw his hands up and sulk. Well, I had a great idea. It didn't work out. What am I going to do? So he interpreted whatever set of circumstances he faced as God's new directed. And he adjusted his plans to it. God was at work. He knew that. The obstacles he was facing weren't just trials to overcome or hurdles to climb over or persevere through. It was God's way of pressing pause and reorienting him to where he wanted him. I think this is amazing. Paul set out from Antioch to encourage the churches he'd planted a few years before. But by the time God was through with him, he was in the city of Troas on the Aegean Sea, 30 miles south of the ancient city of Troy, and the main port that carried people from Asia to Europe, from modern-day Turkey to modern-day Greece. And it was while he was there that the God who had sovereignly orchestrated all the events of his journey up to that point finally spoke to him with clarity. Listen, Paul had gotten off course according to his plans. He'd gone beyond the map of where he'd hoped to be. But God had him right where he wanted him. And he gave him this vision. It says a man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him. I mean, the word could be begging, begging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he'd seen the vision immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. 
I've read this passage dozens of times over the last 15 years, my walk with Christ. I, I'm an unapologetic fanboy of the Apostle Paul. And so I know his life story pretty well. And I've thought about this Macedonian vision before a dozen times. But this fall, I was reading through Acts with, with Eric and Joshua, and this passage grabbed me. Now, I had never really looked at the maps. I'm like you. I'm not a Bible geography scholar, and I get turned around in all these place names, you know, just like I do in the state of Texas. People ask me if I know where such and such is. I'm like, I have no idea. I'm from Alabama. Uh, so that's the way I feel about the ancient world. So this fall, I read all these place names, and I'm like, hey, I'm going to look in the back of my Bible. Does your Bible have maps? Isn't that interesting? Why? Do you ever use them? It's interesting. Pull it out. Open up your maps to Paul's missionary journeys. Certainly, if, if your Bible has maps, it's got a map of Paul's missionary journeys, usually done in three different colors, sometimes with solid lines and other times with dots. And if you don't have one of those physical Bibles or your Bible doesn't have a map, I'll make it simple for you. I got a map here on the screen. I read through this passage and compared the maps. Here's Paul's second missionary journey. Here's his goal. He's going to head out from Antioch in Syria, go up through Cilicia, through Tarsus, his hometown, back to Derby. Your map will show you that the first and second missionary journey's lines run parallel to each other, from Antioch to Tarsus to Derby, Iconium, Lystra, and Antioch. Paul said to Barnabas, hey, I got a good idea. Let's revisit those places we've already been and see how the brethren are doing. That's Paul's plan. That's a map he set out to fulfill. But God had other plans. By the time God was done with him, Paul didn't just revisit the places he had been before, but look at this. Look how far God took him. He'd taken him all the way across Turkey, the city called Troas. And while he's there in Troas, he has a vision. And when the guy says, come over to us, he doesn't just mean like, hey, why don't you come over Monday night and we'll cook some dinner and we'll watch a game. He means get on a boat and travel across the Aegean Sea to us. God really had brought Paul beyond the edge of his map and the limit of his expectations. And then he showed him his next step. Had Paul forced his way into Asia, he might have come to Ephesus a few years early. I mean, he does make it there, as you see in the map, on his second missionary journey. But if he'd done that, Europe would have had to wait for the gospel. He could have started a church in that cosmopolitan city of Ephesus, but God knew there was a woman named Lydia who's going to be washing clothes outside the city of Philippi. And when Paul got there, he was going to go out there seeing if there was anybody open to the gospel, and she'd be the first person the Lord would save. God knew there was a jailer in Philippi whose whole household was ready to receive the gospel. They want to take him there. Had Paul pressed on into Asia and not listened to the Lord and gone to Europe, we might not know about the Bereans, those faithful Jews who studied the scriptures to see if Paul was telling the truth. 
We wouldn't have a story of Paul in Acts 17 on the Areopagus, Mars Hill, where all the philosophers gathered to discuss the ideas of the day. Though they were religious, they didn't even know the God who made them. I mean, if God had followed through with his plans and not adjusted his direction to the way God was leading him, the gospel message that Jesus said in Acts 1.8 that would be preached to the ends of the earth wouldn't have even left the Asian continent. I'm telling you, God had bigger plans for Paul than he did. When Paul's plans fell through, he didn't force his way or lose his mind. He waited and he prayed until God made his next step clear. And when God did, it went far beyond what Paul could have asked or thought. This morning, I wonder if the closed doors that you and I face aren't God's way of trying to redirect our attention away from the best plans we could make, but to what he really wants to do in our lives. I mean, think about it. What if the best thing that ever happened to you was when things didn't go according to plan? I mean, of course, it doesn't feel that way in the moment, does it? When life falls apart and all your plans crumble, it usually seems like there's no hope. But in hindsight, because we serve a sovereign God, we're able to see how he takes all the events of our lives and orchestrates them into a wonderful tapestry whereby he fulfills his purpose in us. Now, I wholeheartedly believe that. I know all of y'all and your stories. And if I could have spared you the heartache you faced in your life, you know that I would. But I believe even when our plans fall through, God is still at work. That's the story of our faith. You know, God creates this wonderful world for us and prepares a place for people, places Adam and Eve in the garden, and gives them his commandments. And pretty quick, they rebel against him and he punishes them, sends them out of the garden. And because of their sin, you and I are born with a sin nature, bent in on itself only wanting what we want and living rebelliously before God. But God had a plan, right? That he's going to send his son Jesus to live a sinless life and fulfill his law for us on our behalf. And then at the end of that perfect life, the the greatest life that's ever been lived, he's crucified on a cross. His own disciples who'd walked with him for three years and should have known his ways and his plan better than anybody else, leave, sad, their hands in the air, sulking. Oh, we thought the, he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. But isn't it the truth that what God meant for evil, or what man meant for evil, God meant for good? That the plan that he had orchestrated in all the time can work through whatever happens. And it did. That when Jesus suffered and died on the cross, he was laid in a tomb. But three days later, he rose from the dead now offers forgiveness and new life to anybody who will receive it. Oh, of course, in the moment, our plans fail and it hurts. But God's able to work through those things. When you don't know what to do after high school, 
what college you're going to attend. You have your hopes set on one place. You don't get accepted. What do you do? You wait and you pray until God makes the next step clear, right? We don't know if you're going to stay in your current job or maybe you should take a leap of faith and put your name in for that other one. Doesn't work out. What do you do? You wait, you pray, until God makes the next step clear. We don't know how to interpret the challenges you're facing. You facing any challenges? How are we supposed to analyze and interpret the events of our world? When all the good plans you and I have made come to nothing, what are we supposed to do? Wait and pray until God makes the next step clear. I was going to preach this sermon two weeks ago and really use it as like a first sermon of the year, inspirational launch into all that God wants to accomplish through us. And that was my plan. Of course, God had a different purpose. And now I'm preaching it today. And many of y'all are watching us at home dealing with a virus that you didn't plan on getting in January. You're trying to lose that weight or do your things. And hey, here it is, throwing a wrench in the gears. But I am really convinced that this is God's word for our church in 2022. Because we have a divine commission. God's left us at the corner of Magnolia Avenue and Central Avenue for 80 years. 80 years we've been here. Not because some faithful church people 80 years ago had a good plan to build a church. Not because along the way, men and women of God sacrificed blood, sweat, tears, and dollars to keep the lights on and the doors open. Not by any circumstances of historical accident. But because God has a purpose for this church. We know it. To make disciples. Over the last two and a half years, you and I have talked a lot about that, pastor and people. What's that going to look like, making disciples? I've talked about it so much, y'all are probably tired of hearing it. But I'm not going to quit. We're going to keep talking about it. Keep asking the question, how does God want us to fulfill his purpose in our generation? My granddad used to tell me that there are three wills in a church. You ready for this? I'm a redneck from Alabama. Wills, W-I-L-L-S, not wheels. There are three wheels. There's the people's will. There's the pastor's will. And there's God's will. And when those three things line up, great things can happen. Make a promise to you, people. I will not impose my will on you, refusing to take no for an answer kicking the door in and doing what I want. I also promise I will not follow passively wherever it is you want to go. I desperately want to know what God's will is for our church. I want to know it as clearly as Paul knew it when a Macedonian man appeared to him in a vision, come over here and help us. That is what Central Baptist Church needs more than anything else. And because I believe the Bible is true for all times and in all places, I know this, 
that the next steps God uses in our church will probably take us beyond the limit of our imagination and beyond the edge of our map. It's going to require more faith and sacrifice than we've ever given because we're going to go places we've never been. And I wish I had the answers for where that was. We're going to Bithynia, all aboard. But I don't. Instead, I think God's word to us is when you don't know the next steps, wait and pray until he makes it clear. Will you pray with me?